You can get this full audiobook for free on Amazon, by clicking on the link in the description. Is brought to you, by the book guide. What you do, and every now and again the cake tastes better than you ever could have dreamed it would. A study in Emerald won the Hugo Award in August 2004 as Best Short Story, something that still makes me intensely proud. It also played its part in my finding myself, the following year, mysteriously inducted into the Baker Street Irregulars. The Fairy Reel Not much of a poem, really, but enormous fun to read aloud. October in the Chair Written for Peter Straub for the remarkable volume of conjunctions that he guest-edited. It began some years earlier, at a convention in Madison, Wisconsin, at which Harlan Ellison had asked me to collaborate with him on a short story. We were placed inside a rope barrier, Harlan at his typewriter, me at my laptop. But before we could start the short story, Harlan had an introduction to finish, so while he finished his introduction, I started this story and showed it to him. Nope, it reads like a Neil Gaiman story, he said. So I put it aside and started another story, which Harlan and I have now been collaborating on ever since. Bizarrely, whenever we get together and work on it, it gets shorter. So I had part of a story sitting on my hard drive. Peter invited me into conjunctions a couple of years later. I wanted to write a story about a dead boy and a living one as a sort of dry run for a book for children I had decided to write. It's called The Graveyard Book and I'm writing it right now. It took me a little while to figure out how the story worked, and when it was done, I dedicated it to Ray Bradbury, who would have written it much better than I did. It won the 2003 Locus Award for Best Short Story. The Hidden Chamber Began with a request from two editors, the Nancys Kilpatrick and Holder, to write something gothic for their anthology Outsiders. It seems to me that the story of Bluebeard and its variants, is the most gothic of all stories. So I wrote a Bluebeard poem, set in the almost-empty house I was staying in at the time. Upsettling is what Humpty Dumpty called a portmanteau word, occupying the territory between upsetting and unsettling. Forbidden Brides of the Faceless Slaves in the Secret House of the Night of Dread Desire I started writing this story in pencil, one windy winter's night, in the waiting room between platforms five and six of East Croydon Railway Station. I was twenty-two, going on twenty-three. When it was done, I typed it up and showed it to a couple of editors I knew. One sniffed, told me it wasn't his kind of thing, and he didn't honestly think it was actually anybody's kind of thing, while the other read it, looked sympathetic, and gave it back, explaining that the reason it would never be printed was that it was facetious nonsense. I put it away glad to have been saved the public embarrassment of having more people read it and dislike it. The story stayed unread, wandering from folder to box to tub, from office to basement to attic for another twenty years, and when I thought of it, it was only with relief that it had not been printed. One day, I was asked for a story for an anthology called Gothic, and I remembered the manuscript in the attic and went up to find it to see if there was anything in it that I could rescue. I started reading Forbidden Brides, and as I read it, I smiled. Actually, I decided it was pretty funny, and it was smart, too. A good little story. The clumsinesses were mostly the sort of things you'd find in journeyman work, and all of them seemed easily fixable. 
I got out the computer and did another draft of the story, twenty years after the first, shortened the title to its present form, and sent it off to the editor. At least one reviewer felt that it was facetious nonsense, but that seemed to be a minority opinion, as Forbidden Brides was picked up by several best-of-the-year anthologies and was voted best short story in the 2005 Locus Awards. I'm not sure what we can learn from that. Sometimes you just show stories to the wrong people and nobody's going to like everything. From time to time I wonder what else there is in the boxes in the attic. Good Boys Deserve Favours, The Flints of Memory Lane One story was inspired by a Lisa Snelling's Clark statue of a man holding a double bass, just as I did when I was a child. The other was written for an anthology of real-life ghost stories. Most of the other authors managed tales that were rather more satisfying than mine, although mine had the unsatisfying advantage of being perfectly true. These stories were first collected in Adventures in the Dream Trade, a miscellany published by Nesfa Press in 2002, which collected lots of introductions and oddments and such. Closing time. Michael Shaban was editing a book of genre stories to demonstrate how much fun stories are and to raise funds for 826 Valencia, which helps children to write. The book was published as McSweeney's Mammoth Treasury of Thrilling Tales. He asked me for a story, and I asked if there was any particular genre he was missing. There was. He wanted an M.R. James-style ghost story. So I set out to write a proper ghost story, but the finished tale owes much more to my love of the strange stories of Robert Aikman than it does to James. However, it also, once it was done, turned out to be a club story, thus managing two genres for the price of one. The story was picked up by some best-of-the-year anthologies and took the Locus Award for Best Short Story in 2004. All the places in this story are true places, although I have changed a few names. The Diogenes Club was really the Troy Club in Hanway Street, for example. Some of the people and events are true as well, truer than one might imagine. As I write this, I find myself wondering whether that little playhouse still exists, or if they knocked it down and built houses on the ground where it waited. But I confess I have no desire actually to go and find out. Going Wadwo A Wadwo, or Wadwos, was a wild man of the woods. This was written for Terry Windling and Ellen Datlow's anthology, The Green Man. Bitter Grounds I wrote four short stories in 2002, and this was, I suspect, the best of the lot, although it won no awards. It was written for my friend Nalo Hopkinson's anthology, Mojo Conjure Stories. Other People I don't remember where I was or when on the day I came up with this little Mobius story. I remember jotting down the idea and the first line, and then wondering if it was original. Was I half remembering a story I'd read as a boy, something by Frederick Brown or Henry Cutner? It felt like someone else's story, too elegant and edgy and complete an idea, and I was suspicious of it. A year or so later, bored on a plane, I ran across my note about the story, and, having finished the magazine I was reading, I simply wrote it. It was finished before the plane landed. Then I called a handful of knowledgeable friends and read it to them, asking if it seemed familiar, if anyone had read it before. They said no. Normally, I write short stories because someone has asked me to write a short story, but for once in my life I had a short story nobody was waiting for. I sent it to Gordon Van Gelder at the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and he accepted it and retitled it, which was fine by me. 
I'd called it afterlife. I do a lot of writing on planes. When I began writing American Gods, I wrote a story on a plane to New York that would, I was certain, wind up somewhere in the fabric of the book, but I could never find anywhere in the book it wanted to go. Eventually, when the book was finished and the story wasn't in it, I made it into a Christmas card and sent it out and forgot about it. A couple of years later, Hill House Press, who publish extremely nice limited editions of my books, sent it out to subscribers as a Christmas card of their own. It never had a title. Let's call it The Map Maker. One describes a tale best by telling the tale. You see, the way one describes a story to oneself or to the world is by telling the story. It is a balancing act, and it is a dream. The more accurate the map, the more it resembles the territory. The most accurate map possible would be the territory, and thus would be perfectly accurate and perfectly useless. The tale is the map, which is the territory. You must remember this. There was an emperor of China, almost 2,000 years ago, who became obsessed by the notion of mapping the land that he ruled. He had China recreated in miniature on an island, which he had constructed at great expense and, incidentally, a certain amount of loss of life, for the waters were deep and cold, in a lake in the imperial estates. On this island, each mountain was become a molehill, and each river the smallest rivulet. It took fully half an hour for the emperor to walk around the perimeter of his island. Every morning, in the pale light before dawn, a hundred men would wade and swim out to the island and would carefully repair and reconstruct any feature of the landscape which had been damaged by the weather or by wild birds or taken by the lake, and they would remove and remodel any of the imperial lands that had been damaged in actuality by floods or earthquakes or landslides to better reflect the world as it was. The emperor was contented by this for the better part of a year, and then...